Hello, welcome to Tell Me Straight. I'm Yasmin Parry and I'm here with Will Lockenden, Lockenden. <laughs> <laughs> who has no patience for me or the podcast this morning. It's very early. Uh, today we're going to talk about the Iran nuclear deal. This is something that was signed in 2015. It was this big historic deal. We're going to talk about what it was, why it was such a big deal, what it meant for Iran. And why does Donald Trump hate it so much? Hate it. He bloody hates it. The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. He came out last Friday and said he's decertifying the nuclear deal. We will not continue down a path whose predictable conclusion is more violence, more terror, and the very real threat of Iran's nuclear breakout. Now, that doesn't mean that it's off. But it means that it's not on. Like it's, it's uh, he's not happy. So we're going to find out what that means. Is this going to destroy the nuclear deal that took so long to put together, or is it just a renegotiation? And does it need a rework? Maybe it does. According Maybe it to doesn't. so we'll find out. And to do so, we're joined by Steph March, ABC's North America correspondent, and Steph. My strategy to get you on this program was, well, failed, failed very early on when I woke you up <laughs> at 5.30 in the morning, and I would firstly like to apologise for that. But secondly... But you made me laugh. Oh. You sent me a little gif of when I said, mate, it's 5.30 in the morning, a little gif of Homer Simpson retreating back into the bushes <laughs> sheepishly, and you made my morning. I think so I said worry. to you guys, it's like, quick, I need a gif, I need a gif. <laughs> so we're here to talk about the Iran deal and why... The Republicans and Donald Trump seem to hate it so much. But first, let's, I guess, begin where we always do at the top. What is the Iran nuclear deal? Well, it's something that's been around since 2015. And interestingly, when you asked me to do this, I was thinking back and I realised the Iran deal was my first story I ever did from Washington. It was a rally outside Congress with Ted Cruz and Donald Trump banding together as candidates to denounce the Iran deal. Oh, how things have changed since then. That was before it even passed. So essentially what it was, was the Obama administration spent 18 months negotiating a deal along with China, Germany, France, the UK, Russia and the EU to try and get Iran to wind back its nuclear program in exchange for relieving some crippling sanctions. It was an incredibly carefully negotiated agreement. As I said, it took a year and a half. And it's pretty much seen as the crowning foreign policy achievement of the Obama administration. And so what it did was essentially Iran agreed to stop its nuclear weapons proliferation to some extent by allowing things like inspectors to come in, um, sort of curbing enrichment and things like that in exchange for those countries that I mentioned sort of rolling back these sanctions, which kind of amounted to $100 billion or so of a cash injection for Iran, which was suffering quite a bit under those incredibly heavy and restrictive sanctions. So that's sort of the genesis of it. And it was something that wasn't as I mentioned, it wasn't really something that the Republicans were into at the time, but they did manage to get it passed um, back then in 2015. And it's been about two years. I mean, can we measure how successful the deal has been? 
It's a really good question. Um, so it came into effect, I think, sometime last year, essentially. And one of the biggest criticisms that Donald Trump has is that Iran is violating what he calls the spirit of the deal. Now, if you look at the micro on that, you know, Iran sort of has to meet these particular targets. It's supposed to allow inspectors and when these foreign countries ask and if they feel that they're not getting the access they want, there is a dispute resolution mechanism for the UN. And the way that the Trump administration portrays it is that Iran's been pushing the line, really. So they've there are two examples in the last year, I think, where they've become really close to almost exceeding their heavy water sort of restrictions, the amount of heavy water they can produce in their uranium enrichment. And they've come really close to reaching sort of the maximum that's allowed under the deal. And they haven't curbed any of their other activities. So their long-range missile development program is still going on. They still fund terror networks across the globe. So the Trump administration essentially says Iran is violating the spirit of the deal. Now, if you look at the nitty-gritty and you talk to US officials or UN inspectors, they say by the letter of the deal, Iran is actually doing what it said it would do. So it is complying with the technical aspects of the deal. So now Trump's come out and he said he's going to decertify the nuclear deal. Can you explain to us what does it mean to decertify? Does that mean the deal's off or does it just mean some technical thing? Can I explain it? I'll try. (laughs) So Donald Trump on the campaign trail repeatedly said he would either fix it or scrap it. Uh, Fix it or nix it is sort of the slogan that is bandied around by critics of the deal. And he decided essentially that he wasn't going to scrap it. Now, the certifying thing is something that Republicans wanted to get in there through Congress when this deal went through, essentially trying to get their hands off it back when Obama passed it. So every 90 days, the president has to essentially certify that it is appropriate for Congress to keep the suspension of sanctions on Iran because Iran is complying with the program. So that's the president telling Congress Iran's doing what it's supposed to do, don't reinstate the sanctions. Now, this is something that back then, obviously, it was something that President Obama was going to have to do, and then maybe even a President Hillary Clinton was going to have to do. But now that burden has fallen to Donald Trump. So every 90 days, he essentially has to sign off on something that he absolutely loathes and has spent two years berating and criticising. Now, some officials have been quoted as saying that that certifying process enrages him more than the deal itself. So, so far in his presidency, he's certainly certified it twice, but this is the third time. The deadline, I think, was October 15, and a few days before that, he stood up and said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to certify it, but I'm not going to scrap it. What I'm going to do is ask Congress to fix it, and if they can't, we're going to scrap it. So essentially what he's now done is put the burden on Congress, who has 60 days to decide whether they're going to reimpose sanctions or if they can come up with another way to try and get Iran to comply. But essentially the burden is now on Congress. And this is a Congress that was divided two years ago when this thing passed, uh, not only between Democrats who support it being an Obama administration policy, but also Republicans are pretty divided on it as well. You've got a lot of people who want to see it scrapped outright. You've got some who are trying to save it. One said, let's just enforce the hell out of it and not get rid of it. So it's a really complex conversation going on in Congress uh, and they have to move pretty quickly. They've only got 60 days to sort of make a decision before Donald Trump's kind of deadline of you must do something or I'm going to scrap it kicks in. 
So why is there the uh, a sort of a party split, but not entirely, but why is there this hate on one side for the deal? Is it mainly because they say that, that, that Iran isn't doing its, its holding up its end of the bargain, or does it go sort of a bit deeper than that? Is there sort of more ideological reasons? Main, the main criticism is that it's too limited. Now, there's the underlying argument that Republicans tend to oppose pretty much everything the Obama administration did. So there's an element of that in it as well. But fundamentally, critics say it doesn't go far enough. So what this does is it targets Iran's nuclear weapons program. But as I mentioned, Iran is still doing things like developing its long-range ballistic missile program. I think they may have launched about 20 of those um, in the last few years. And it's still funding terror networks like Hamas and Hezbollah and things like that. And also, they say that the inspections regime is not quite sufficient in terms of what Iran has to actually be telling the international community about its weapons program. So essentially what Donald Trump has said is that it's pointless focusing on this one aspect of Iran's, you know, problematic, disruptive global behaviour. And the other big problem they have with it is it's got a sunset clause. So the deal was so carefully negotiated that the foreign um, allied group working with Iran essentially came to the agreement that there's a 10 to 15 year sunset clause on some of the different provisions in this. So critics say, well, all that allows Iran to do is build up its economy, um, make more money, get more money together over the next 10 to 15 years. And when that sunset clause finishes, they can just race straight out of the gate and get their nuclear weapons program back on track reducing the amount of time it will need them they'll need because they've got all this money and financial support to actually get a nuclear weapon up and running so the deal is perceived by its critics as being quite flawed now even at the time some democrats did come out and say well it's not perfect but it's the best we could do and the argument from democrats is yes it's not ideal but it gives us the best eyes on iran's previously completely secretive nuclear weapons program that we could possibly have. And it's better to know what they're doing um, and have, you know, an inside sort of view of what's going on. And so Democrats say essentially that's better than nothing. I've heard this referred to a lot as the US-Iran deal, but there's China involved, France, Mm. Russia, the UK, Germany. I mean, what is this going to mean if the US is sort of back and forth and wringing its hands about what it's going to do. I mean, at the end of the day, does it even matter if the US aren't involved? It's a good question and only time will tell. But essentially what the other members, including Iran, have said, we're going to stick with it. And the European Union and the European partners have been particularly outspoken in saying that the US can't unilaterally terminate this deal. But it's unclear whether or not if the US did pull out or violate its aspect of the agreement, whether those other nations would stick with it. And it would be potentially problematic if the US did pull out because those other countries would still allow trade with Iran and things like that. So the problem that the US sees, well, the critics see in the US of, you know, Iran being able to still build up its economy, blah, blah, blah. You know, that wouldn't really go away because they'd still have these sort of trading partners who've suspended these sanctions. So it's really complicated and it's completely unclear exactly what would happen if Donald Trump said he was going to scrap it. Now, Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, said over the weekend he hinted at the possibility of sort of a second secondary deal, so a supplementary kind of deal, because all the parties have essentially said, you can't renegotiate this. It took 18 months. It's, you know, it, it is what it is. But now there's talk of possibly a second agreement, which could include things like trying to remove that sunset clause or trying to deal with the ballistic missile program and things like that. But it is 
clear that Donald Trump does want to take a really hard line on this in announcing that he wasn't going to de- going to certify it and putting this burden on Congress. He announced new sanctions on Iran's revolutionary guard. So that's not linked to the nuclear program, but instead instead imposing those sanctions um, because of their links to terror groups and the, the Trump administration saying that the Iranian National Guard uh, is a sponsor of terror. So you can see on one hand, um, they're sort of trying to be heavy handed towards Iran in one way, but then also trying to maybe keep this deal alive. And then the threat of Obama, of um, Donald Trump terminating it or pulling out of it is still sort of hanging over all these things as they happen. And talking about hanging over, we actually do have a nuclear arms state that they're also in a bit of a bit of a tiff. Uh, not, mm. not quite sure that's quite the right uh, forceful word, but a bit of a, <laughs> an argument um, and a diplomatic issue with uh, North Korea, which um, has been testing nuclear weapons and does have a nuclear weapons program. How does the US balance a non-nuclear Iran so far with a nuclear North Korea? Well, that's interesting as well, because Donald Trump said in his criticisms and denouncing and decision to decertify the Iran deal, he accused Iran of helping North Korea with its weapons program, which is something, as I understand it, hasn't been um, hasn't been proven or you know verified by US officials. So it is an interesting and a complex thing. And that's the other question that people who are supportive of maintaining the US's participation in the Iran deal is what does this mean for North Korea or Kim Jong-un when he's looking at the possibility of signing a deal with the US or other international partners if this is what happens to a country who's already done that. So whilst Donald Trump has been quite blistering and bellicose in his rhetoric towards who he calls Little Rocket Man um, and, you know, a few weeks ago in a tweet said that Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State's wasting his time negotiating that Little Rocket Man only understands one thing. That said, everyone else in the White House says no, no, diplomacy is the way we want to go and diplomacy, presumably would mean something like a deal, something like the Iran deal with North Korea. And yeah, it would be very instructive for North Korea to be looking at how Iran's being treated now and thinking about what they would want or would consider or expect from so, any deal that they would sign so with the US. So does sort of the argument go, or that was just like, okay, so Iran gave up a nuclear programs in return for a relaxation of sanctions. We're applying stronger and stronger sanctions on North Korea now. If they ever came to an agreement, which seems unlikely, but if they did to get rid of their nuclear program in return for winding back sanctions, they'll be looking at Iran saying, well, you know, we're just going to end up three years down the track and you're going to get mad again and we won't, mm. we'll have more sanctions and we won't have a nuclear program. Exactly. And that's sort of the danger in a way. And I mean, as you say, it seems at this point unlikely from the signals out of North Korea that they'd be inclined to agree to anything like that anyway. But again, that sanctions um, program that the UN is implementing, um, led by the US against North Korea, which has ratcheted up in recent months, um, you know, is reportedly having quite an impact on Pyongyang. And there's, you know, the, the sort of step further that they could go would be essentially try and cut off oil supplies, most of which come from China. Um, which would really be quite devastating for the country, essentially maybe forcing Kim Jong-un's hand towards some negotiations. Thank you so much for talking to us, Steph. Hopefully we won't 
wake you up in the morning next time at an inappropriate time. <laughs> it's completely fine. It's any time. I've got a, uh, you in my phone book now, you are, the contact not is, disturb. Steph March, don't call when sleeping. It really is, actually. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> oh, you guys are very sweet. No, it's all good. It's the life of a correspondent, isn't it? Oh, time yeah. zones. Thanks cool. very much, Steph March. Thanks, guys. If you want to hear more from Steph March and the whole Washington team, they have a podcast called The DC Wash-Up. It's really good. It's all of them together. It's like the whole, all the North America correspondents, their producers and everything, they're sort of on a rotating roster. It's a bit like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Except there's no mum and dad and, or, and or, kids. Or nanny. <laughs> and while you're there, if you could leave us a review in iTunes, a nice one, please. <laughs> or send us an email, tellmestraight at abc.net.au. Nah, just, 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 yeah. just leave it as a review. <laughs> send us an email. I love emails. You do love emails. You can send us a letter, GPO Box 9994 in your capital city. Do you know what that is, the 9994? It is Don Bradman's batting average. Amazing. I hate cricket, but <laughs> someone at the ABC doesn't. Someone's going to get really mad that you said that. I know. Michelle Guthrie is going to fire me personally. We're cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back soon. Bye.